Well, Psalm 47 is where we find ourselves this morning as we go through the Psalms of the sons of Korah uh, together. As we get ready to uh, approach this psalm, imagine if you can with me an arena being filled with people, just completely filled. In the air is anticipation, and the anticipation is waiting for the team to, to come onto the field. And everybody is there waiting to see this team, and not to see them play, but to see them because they have won already. They won it all, and now it's a celebration. And you're there in that place with everybody else, all the other fans, and there's just great excitement that is happening. If you've been a fan of the Detroit Lions at all, the only thing you've ever done is think of this. You've never experienced it. You've thought of it. I've thought about this often with some of my friends of what that would be like. I often see the Super Bowl team winning and they have a parade in their town and you wonder, I wonder what that feels like. But it looks like a good time. And it seems to me that it would be so exciting. I know that if it happened here with that team, with the Lions, I would want to be a part of it. It would be just amazing. I imagine we would sing songs. You know, the Lions have that song, forward down the field. Whenever they get a first down, chants would be chanted, right? Banners would be hung. Everybody would go and buy everything that they could with the shirt that said Super Bowl champs, whenever that was. You'd see a new resurgence of fans all of a sudden, wouldn't you? I say this just to try to get our minds a little bit around the psalm this morning as we look at it. Our psalm today is all about God being king and the praise that he alone deserves. And it really is embarrassing trying to compare what we're going to look at with football or any other sport or anything, really, because there really is no comparison at all. Psalm 47 here points us to something that is a present reality, yet also within the psalm, the psalmist is pointing us to an end time reality that we haven't experienced yet, that we haven't seen yet. And so there is all of that taking place here. The fact that God is king over all the earth, including all the nations. We're going to see that as we go through this. And we know this is true. Right now, Jesus reigns. We can say that. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. Yet we live in a reality, do we not, where this hasn't all happened yet. We don't really get to see it. We don't see all the nations bowing. Right? We, we still see sin. We still see corruption. We still see hurt. And we look forward as Christians. We look forward as we, as we sing this psalm, read this psalm. We look forward to the day when Christ will come again and reign forever. And where then every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we, we want to see that day. We long for that day. And hopefully as a believer, you're praying for that day to come. But yet it's a day that we haven't seen. And so this psalm, again, takes us from beginning to end. Our present realities, but also our future realities that we know are coming. And so I want to read Psalm 47, and I really leaned on Adam Clark. He, he was a, a pastor in the late 1700s, early 1800s. He was actually a Methodist minister. Uh, but he had, I saw a little thing of some points that he had on this psalm. It wasn't a lot. It was really a small paragraph, and I, I liked his points, so I'm going to be using uh, those this, this morning as we go along. But Psalm 47, follow along with me, uh, verses 1 uh, through 9 there. 
It says, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. This psalm really is pretty different from where we have been with some of these other psalms. These other psalms that we've been looking at were kind of like, things are going bad. Even the question of where are you? God, what is happening? One of the psalms ended with really no hope. It's like things are still bad. And so, but this psalm, we don't have that. What we have is a psalm of victory. We have a psalm of God being king over everything, over all the earth. And we see some things about praise, being called to praise, being called to, to worship God. And so I want to look at that this morning, like I said, using some of Adam Clark's points here uh, that he had in an outline that I saw. And the first one was talking about praise to God is done cheerfully. We see that there at the very beginning, don't we? Clap your hands, all you people, pointing at the cheerful side of, of praise. And the focus of this psalm really is twofold. First, God reigns over all as king. He is king over all. And we see that repetitively within the psalms, the fact that God is, is king. We talk about it a lot at Christmas as well. But also, we see here that he, because being king, because of who he is, he deserves the praise Notice, of all people, all people, not just church people, not just Christians, it's calling all people here to praise God as king. So the question kind of comes up, what does it mean to praise God our king, and how do we do this? Well, first, as we see in here, is cheerfully, it seems. There seems to be some cheer behind it. Be excited about it. It seems foolish, doesn't it, to think of praise being done without cheer, but it is how it often happens. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning as our focus was on worship. The difference of worshiping out of duty versus out of gratitude or joy. Right? Many of you this morning, if you're going to be honest, you walked in here out of some duty. It might not have been 100% of the reason, but it was some percentage of the reason. Right? And so if we come out of here just out of duty, though, there probably isn't going to be much cheer in our worship. There's not going to be much excitement and awe in our worship. And you think about it this way. How many times have you went up to somebody, I don't know what happened, maybe something good in somebody's life, and you went up to them and you did congratulate them, but deep down you had no desire to do that. You didn't want to congratulate them. You were angry that they got the job. Or you were hurt that they, I don't know, are having another child, and yet you can't. Or whatever it might be, but you did your duty. You walked over. Congratulations. You smile and take the smile right back, don't you? Congrats. And then you go on your way. That's duty. You're doing it out of duty. There's no, there's no cheer there and being thankful for what had happened in this person's life. And again, I think we have to be honest with ourselves as we ask this question. How often 
that we come to worship God, but it's fake. We fake the whole thing. The whole time, all we're doing is we're sitting there and we're just frustrated with everything that's going on. We're frustrated how the guy sitting next to me smells. I mean, gosh, he's too much cologne. Not enough, I don't know, whatever. Right, we're frustrated about something. Any little thing can set us off. And so we just sit there out of sheer duty. There's no real cheer in our heart for who God is and what he has done. But what the psalmist here is calling for the people to do is he's calling for creation, for all of creation to do what? To cheerfully clap their hands. Why? In praise to God the King. And that's what we try to do when we come here in the mornings, on Sunday mornings. But praise isn't just a Sunday morning thing. Praise is an everyday thing as we're going to look at. But he alone is the one who deserves praise. He deserves all praise, and we must strive to do this cheerfully, with joy in our heart. Because the fact is, is if you're doing it without joy in your heart, the sin problem is on you. It's not on God. The sin problem is mine. And so I have to be willing to work with that. I need to be willing to go to God in prayer and to seek his face. Thank God, help me here. Where I need that joy and worship back. And I know it's not you. You still sit on the throne. You're still king of kings and lord of lords. Something in me. Something in my heart. And so God, God help me with this. Bring back that joy. Now, many of you tell me this all the time, and you remind me of this, and I'll say it, and I can agree to some extent, but I'm not that emotional. It's just not how I function. It's just not who I am. But I do have to ask myself, even being the way that I am, messed up as I am, I have to ask myself this. What gets me more excited? The things of this world or the fact that God is king? And I think we all have to answer that question. Whatever that excitement level looks like, whatever it looks like on your face or in your life, what is it that gets me going more? The things of this world or the fact that God is king and creator of this world. Now, let me preface that by saying this. It's okay to get excited about things in this world. I told you I would be at the Super Bowl party if the Lions won. No doubt, and I'd be happy to be there. I don't think that's wrong. I would show excitement. There's nothing wrong with that. But what does become wrong is when the things of the world are what I live for. When the things of the world are the only things that I'm finding joy in. And when it comes to worshiping God, when it comes to reading his word, when it comes to singing songs to him that glorify him, my heart is just like, eh, I'll do it. But I'm not too pumped about it. I'd much rather go golfing. I'd much rather be fishing. I'd much rather go on vacation. I'd much rather listen to this band and sing and clap with them. Right, these are the things that we have to ask ourselves, and this is what the psalmist is calling us out. He's saying, clap your hands, everybody. Why? Because God is the king, and he is your king. And so it's not just about here, coming in here on Sunday morning and worship, but my whole life, my whole attitude in life. Is my attitude in life a life of, of worship and praise, and do I do this cheerfully? Right? Am, I, am I willing to do this and let myself do this, and am I doing it so that people see that in my life? That there is a cheer, there's a joy in my life, and it comes from the fact that I am the king's. He has made me one of his. I mentioned this already, but the second thing that's interesting here is it's not just praise to be done cheerfully, but praise to God is done universally. He's calling out to all peoples here. And it's a very interesting thing about this psalm, because normally it's the people of God are encouraged to praise. And we just talked about this in Sunday school. In fact, only the people of God 
can praise God. You can't do it unless you're in Christ, unless you're full of the Spirit. But here the psalmist is encouraging all peoples to praise God. It's almost done, it seems, in an evangelistic way. A calling out to the people to trust in God, to see him as king, to worship him as such. Urging them to see the truth of what it means to praise God, the only one who is worthy. Look at one and two. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Why? For the Lord the Most High is to be feared a great king over all the earth. I don't think it'd be foreign for you to hear this, but our world is very good at worshiping. Pagans know how to worship. Uh, Worship has always been done. And so it's not that we have to teach people how to worship or even what it is. The problem is what they are worshiping. The pagans worship ignorantly. They worship not knowing the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God who reigns on the throne. And so as believers, we need to point them to the one who they should be worshiping and be faithful in that. We should be worshiping that God in this way. And so we need to be pointing others to the King of kings and the Lord of lords saying, this is what is worthy to be worshiped and praised. Have you ever sat down for a moment when you're really frustrated with something and you really start to think about it and you're like, it's so dumb that I'm so frustrated over this? Have you ever done that before? Like, it's kind of ignorant that I'm so mad that my steak is medium and not medium rare. I mean, but I'm furious right now. Have you ever been there before? And when you start to think about the grand scheme of things and everything, you just eat the steak. And you're like, well, at least it's a steak, not salad. I get to eat a steak today. That's a good thing. And so then you kind of move on. To be honest with you, I have found in life almost everything that I get frustrated over could be talked through in that way and then be over with, right? And it's because I'm not seeing things in the perspective that I need to see them in. And that's the problem, I think, with the pagan. That's the problem with those who are not Christians. They do not know how to worship. Their focus is off. They're worshiping, but they're worshiping wrong. And it is our job, what we have been tasked with as Christians is to be light in a dark world, to be willing to share the gospel with people, to tell them the truth, to say, listen, you are misdirected. Your focus is money. Your focus has been security. Your focus is freedom. Your focus is all these different things, whatever it might be. Your focus is wrong. God is the one who needs to be worshiped and praised. And I believe the Bible tells us we do this for three reasons, really. The first we see in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. God tells us to be people who share the gospel. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So first of all, why do we tell people to worship God? We're commanded to do it. We don't have an out. You can't come to me and say, Pastor Tim, evangelism just isn't my gift. It's not about a gift. It's just something we're supposed to do. But secondly, there should be a desire in our heart. And I think this is where we lose most of it. There really should be a desire in our heart where we are jealous for God for the fact that they are not worshiping him and he deserves it. God deserves your worship, not the lions. Not whatever else you put in that place. It's God alone who deserves that worship and you should be worshiping him and that should drive us to evangelism. 
to share with them because he deserves it, right? We tell our kids when our, when our wife's birthday is about to come up, listen, we need to get her something. We got to do something special. Why? She deserves it. She deserves it. Let's do it because she deserves it. That's what, that's what we're doing here. God deserves worship. And I think last on the list would be the third thing, but it's the thing that we often most point to first. But we have a love for those lost people. I do think as a church, we've kind of got mixed up and we normally put this as number one. Share the gospel with those who are lost because you love them. But what I found is that's not a good tactic. We like to say we love people. We really don't care. I think this should be third on the list. Number one, share the gospel because God tells you to. Second, we do it because he deserves praise. He should be worshiped by everybody, like the psalmist is crying out. All peoples worship him. Then third, do you have any compassion in your heart for them at all? To tell them that their focus is off? To tell them that there is a God who loves them, who deserves to be worshiped and praised by them? When was the last time in your life you truly told somebody about the king who's worthy to be praised? You actually spoke it to them. You see, this is a form of praising God, of telling others about his greatness. And that's what leads to our second point. Praise to God is done vocally. He says, shout to the Lord. Shout to God. He doesn't just say clap your hands, but sing it and shout it in verse one, verbally praising God for all he has done and for who he is. Right? There's an excitement that causes this. Positive that then we walk through this. Our minds go to Sunday morning as I talk about this. But really, that's just a small part of all of this. I mean, that, I know, again, we think that's what, probably what we're thinking. Okay, worship is Sunday morning. No, it's, it's really our life. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us what true spiritual worship is. Being, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed. Right, by the renewing of our mind. This is our spiritual worship to God. So I'm not just talking about on Sunday morning. I don't next Sunday, you guys will give me a heart attack. We walk in here, all of a sudden you're clapping and shouting. I'll pass out in the front. That's not what I'm asking for. That's not what I'm seeking after. Well, what does it mean though? Well, the psalm is speaking of the moment, right, of the moment when God rules and he reigns in our lives. He, he saves us by his grace. We, we see this, we, we understand this, that veil that was read about earlier is gone, and we know you are the king. I am a sinner, but you've saved me by your grace. You, you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die in my place, and, and now his righteousness is, is my righteousness. And so we, we see this and we understand this, and then from then on, my life should be a never-ending celebration of what God has done for me in my life. That's what it should be, praising him for who he is and what he has done, and being in his word to, to know him better so that I can even worship him better. And so this vocal praise of God really is a lifestyle for us where we're quick to say the name Jesus. We're quick to give credit to God in our life for the things that are happening in our life. We're quick to trust in God and in the promises of God and we're not afraid to let people know that. We're not afraid to, to share that. Again, I'm not talking about being annoying I'm not talking about shoving it down their throat. But just in ca casual conversation, it's very easy for the things that you're excited about to come up. Why is it any different for God? Why is it any different for us 
to speak of the good things that he has done for us, that he continues to do, or to worship him just simply for the God who he is. People should know you're a Christian, and they should know it because you talk about it. Praise is done vocally. Well, then next, in verses six to seven, we see that praise to God is done frequently. Notice how often he says, sing praises, five times. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Five times in these verses, he says to sing. And in the Hebrew, and the original language, this just jumps out at the one who is reading it or singing it. So often we see singing being coupled with praise, don't we? So often in scripture, this is the case. In fact, this was written as a song to be sung for the people of God to sing. And so throughout Israel, this song would often be sung and encouraging each other. Sing, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to him. Today, we see music as such an important part of our praise to God, and it should be an important part because the Bible makes it an important part. So it's important for us that as we sing, as we, as we sing these songs to God, we sing songs to God, what? First of all, to, to help us to know him more. Because often when singing is talked about in the New Testament, it's talked about as a way to learn, a way to be taught, a way to understand who God is more. Singing allows us to say how we feel. I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at like writing poems and stuff like that. I'm not the best at sharing my feelings. But there are times when you come across a song don't you? And you think, that's what, I, that's what I would say. That's what I've been trying to say. And so then it kind of resonates with you. And you want to sing it, right? And, we, and so I want to make sure it's a good song, but I'm singing that to the, to the Lord. And I'm thankful that he, he put that in somebody's heart to write out. And now I have the privilege to be able to, to sing that to him and praise him in that way. But as we sing, it also points our devotion to him. Not to me, not to you. But when we sing, we're singing praises to him. The author isn't saying to sing praises to some king on this earth. No, it's to God who is the king. That's who we sing to. And so as we gather together in this room each week and we sing, it allows us to come together with one voice to sing to God, saying, God, this is who you are. We're singing these praises to him. This is the truths that we hold on to, and we are singing them to you in praise and in adoration and in the cheerfulness out of our hearts. Hear the words that we are singing and know we are giving them to you because it's who you are. That's why we have to be careful of the songs we sing. Make sure they are worthy to be sung to him. They're speaking truth of who he is. Even in heaven, there are songs that we will be singing. The Bible teaches us these songs one of them is in Revelation chapter four, verse eight through 11. It says, on the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, you ready, here's the song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, here's song number two, 
Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. As John has a vision of heaven and he sees these creatures worshiping God, and then the elders falling and worshiping God, they are singing a song. And I gotta be honest with you, I said this to Sunday school class this morning. They're two of the most boring songs you've ever heard in your life. If we sang only those two songs on Sunday morning, I'd hear more complaints than I already hear about music all the time. Be like, don't we need some variety? Don't we need a little more? Get up and go. Let's do it. But yet Revelation chapter four, this is what's happening for eternity. All these creatures can seem to utter is the truth of who God is over and over and over again. They repeat themselves saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the amazing thing about this song is it is received by the king. It's not rejected. God doesn't say, hey, there's more to me. Or hey, you should do it different. Or hey, you guys have been singing this for a thousand years. Can you come up with something else? It never gets old because it's the truth. You alone are holy, holy, holy. You alone are the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The 24 elders cast their crowns at at the feet of the king and all they can say, worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. They're driven to worship over and over and over again by who God is, and it never gets old. Why? Because it's the truth. And for us as Christians, we need to be praising God frequently, but we need to be doing it in a way that is true, and that's what gets us to our next point. Verse seven, in the ESV, it says, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. That word for psalm is masco, but most, most versions of scripture would interpret that uh, to sing and praise with understanding. With understanding. Know what you are singing. Know what you are praising about. Know who you are praising. Know what you are, what you are doing. And so when we sing to God, when we, when we praise God, when we worship God, we do it with understanding. And that's what the psalmist is calling out here. Sing to him with understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, 15 says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So our worship and our singing isn't just a singing of like, you know what? I just feel like singing this way today. I just feel like doing this today. I feel like the spirit's leading me to say say this. No, no. We sing as we are told to sing. We are singing as we know who God is and what he has done. And so according to this psalm, it seems, number one, he's the creator. We sing to God because he's the creator of all things. Without him, there's nothing. You don't exist. There's nothing to sing to. There's no one to sing to him. He is the creator. But also... He alone is the one to be feared. 
I don't know if you've ever done a study on the attributes of God. We've been doing that on Sunday night. We've took a little break. But when you start to study the attributes of God, there's something you start to realize real quick. You are not him. You are not God. The things that the Bible says about God and who he is puts awe and fear into a person who's being serious about knowing who God is. The God that we've come here this morning to worship, know this, he is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows every thought you're thinking right now. He knows every hair on your head. He knows everywhere you've been this week, everything you've read, everything you've watched, everything you've sung, everything you've done. He knows it all. He knows when you're gonna die. He knows how you're gonna die. He knows everything, but not just that. He's everywhere all the time. He's omnipresent. David would say, where can I go to flee your presence? It's Psalm 139. And he quickly realizes, I can't go anywhere. And so for me, I got to go on vacation this week. You know what? God went with me on vacation. He didn't leave. In fact, he was there. He's everywhere all the time. But not just that. He's not just all-knowing and everywhere all the time because if it was just those two things, he's kind of annoying God. But then there's another one. He's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. So not only does he know everything, he has the power to do everything. Everything. That's the God that we've come to worship today. See, I love to go to sporting events. I love to see athletes who are good at what they do. I love going to NBA basketball games and I love sitting close. It's amazing to me to see people who are seven foot tall, 300 pounds, move that fast and do the things they do. It really is inspiring to see. And you just sit there kind of awestruck You're just amazed at what they're doing and what's happening. Or maybe some of you like to go and you like to go to a concert and you see somebody who just has the skill to sing or to play an instrument and you just sit there and you just think, wow, wow. Could I tell you something? Those people break their instrument. Now what are they gonna do? Take away their voice. How are they gonna sing? Right? Tear your ACL. How are you going to jump and dunk that ball? See, they don't have all the power. They're not all knowing. You have to travel to their shows. Why? Because they're not everywhere all the time. The God that we've come here to worship this morning, that you have the privilege as a Christian every morning to get up and to worship, that we have a privilege every Sunday morning to gather together, to worship together, is alone to be feared because he alone is God. But then in this Psalm, it also says, why do we sing to him? He's creator, he's the one to be feared, but because he is the king. He is our king. So we sing to him because of what he has done as the king, don't we? It says that in verse four. God chose Israel, and God chose to love Israel. All the way back to Abraham, God chose Israel, and he made promises to bless them And to be their God. And this is in the mind of Israel when they're singing this psalm. Their mind is going to Genesis 12. When it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This no doubt is on the mind of the readers and those singing this psalm as they get to verse four. 
He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. They're singing to God because he had called them out. He had saved them. He had chosen to be their God. He had chosen them as his people all the way back with Abraham. So then there's a reminder in this as well in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 9. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. As they're singing this psalm in Israel, they're reminded that the God of Jacob has chosen them and he is still their God for thousands of generations. He loves them. So this God that is to be feared, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, that strikes fear into people, draws you in and says, I choose you. I love you. This is what's going on in Israel's mind as they sing this psalm. And we say, but I'm not Israel. Yeah. Be it as we just saw in Ephesians chapter one, verse three through six, our story is the same. And so when we sing this psalm, we can sing it very loud and proud just as well and say, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Because Paul says in Ephesians, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This psalm is our psalm. We read it and we can say that God, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Why? Because he has chose us before the foundations of the world in Christ Jesus. He is our king. And so I can continue to sing for what he has done for me. He has saved me. Not because I was special. Just like Israel. Oh, I didn't choose you, Israel, because you were the most people. (laughs) You were the fewest. But yet I loved you. He looks at somebody like me. I don't love you, Tim, because you're special. I don't love you because you just, you seem to be more righteous than most. No, I loved you even in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your rebellion. I've loved you. I've opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel and what Jesus has done for you. And I adopted you into my family. And so there's no more need to fear me because you are mine. And I am yours. So not only do we sing this song because of what he has done for us, but the psalmist keeps going on. And he encourages us to sing. Why? Because of what he is going to do. As I mentioned at the very beginning, we live in this time where we know that God is king. We know that Jesus has ascended on high and that he's at the right hand of the Father with all power, with all authority. But yet we live in this time where we don't see it necessarily being executed fully, do we? There's still death, there's still corruption, there's still pain, there's still suffering, 
There's still disease and sickness. There's still rebellion. But we have been promised, and the psalmist here promises us that he will reign over all. That all of the enemies of Jesus will be made his footstool. Every last one of them. And that all people will bow down to him. Here, the psalmist is encouraging all people to bow down. But listen, in the end, we know that all people will bow down to him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, this will come and be known. Every single person who's ever lived will understand at some point that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That he is the one who should be worshipped. That God is the king and on the throne. This will happen and this will take place. Why? Because we serve a God who keeps his promise we see in 8 and 9. It says God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. That covenant that God made with Abraham will be completed. There's no ifs, there's no buts. No, it will be completed. And we have seen God work throughout history to where now God has saved us, Gentiles, grafted us into the family of God. We see that God is the savior of the Gentiles and the Jews all the same way through the blood of the lamb, through the blood of Jesus. And that is why we then praise him. So we need to make sure that we are faithful in this as a church, yes, but also as individual believers in our life. Are you consistently praising God cheerfully? Are you urging others to praise God? Are you doing it in an evangelistic way, letting people know who God is and what he has done? Are you praising God vocally, right? Not being ashamed of of whose you are, but to let people know so that when you go to work tomorrow and they're like, hey, how was your weekend? And you guys start talking about the weekend. Does God come up at all? I mean, you did come to church. It wouldn't be too hard to fit him in there, right? Are we doing this vocally? Are we praising God frequently? Are we consistently worshiping God, not just here, throughout the week in our life, but also here? That's a fair question nowadays. Frequent's not twice a month, once a month. Frequent is frequent, often, normally. Are we praising God knowingly? Are we praising him in spirit and truth, as Pastor Scott prayed a little this morning, where we praise him because of who he is, the creator, the one to be feared, the king, the one who's chosen us and loved us. I hope this morning you see the goodness of God in this message. I do hope that he's maybe pricked your heart a little bit in some areas, but really my main hope for this message is that you would praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't gather here on Sunday morning to worship some God who's fluff. We don't gather here to worship somebody who's all talk. 
we come to worship the only one who really is worthy to be praised. And he deserves it. And it's our job, it's our duty, it's our honor to be able to worship him according to how he's called us to worship him. And to do it with sincerity, with joy, and with expectation that as we worship him, he's molding us and making us more and more into the image of his son, who one day we will be like when we get to see him face to face. But until then, we worship him in faith and hope and in his promises. Well, let's bow together this morning. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God. We, we do this every week as we sing a song at the end. And we sing the song, yes, to worship, but also to give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God. However that would be for you. Maybe it's just praying where you're at. Or however the Lord is leading We want you to be able to do that. And so I trust that you'll do that this morning. God, we thank you that you allow us to worship you. God, you do not need our worship. We do not give anything to you that makes you better or or bigger or more loving. But yet, you allow us to worship you. And it's not even a forced worship. You yet you've 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 loved us. You've saved us in Jesus. Your word tells us that you've adopted us into your family and that we get to call you Father. God, I pray that we would worship you for that. God, I pray for those here this morning, those Christians this morning, maybe who've been struggling. Maybe it's been a while since they've been able to truly worship in spirit and truth. They, the devil has just tricked them and teased them to think that everything is bad, that you are not a good God. God, I pray that they would see the truth this morning that you are a good God. The fact that you let us wake up. Many of us, we get to have jobs, we get to have families. We even get to have things, material things that we don't deserve, but yet you've blessed us abundantly over and over and over again. God, I pray that we would worship you how we should, faithfully, truthfully, in the spirit, with our head and with our heart, so that we can honor you in our worship, our King. And God, we pray for that day and we long for that day when Jesus will return and we'll see every knee bow, every tongue confess, that we'll, they'll, they'll worship you because, but, because they understand then that you are God. And God, we look forward to spending eternity with you, being able to sing praises to you, being in, your, in the midst of your glory forever. And so God, we pray that you would come, that you would come soon as you called us to pray. But God, in the meantime, help us to be faithful in our worship, in our praise, and in our adoration. And help us, God, to share that with other people, to encourage them to bow their knee before you in faith, by grace, and to be saved and to worship you in their life. So God, I pray now in the rest of the service, help us to sing to you, help us to worship you, but also help us to respond to your word how we should. We ask in Jesus' name.